Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the BAC Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Ryan. And what we want to do this week is, is last week we introduced the book of 2 Corinthians. We're continuing our journey through the New Testament. So this week we want to actually get into the letter itself, into 2 Corinthians. But unfortunately, we can't get into it in a lot of detail. So what we thought we'd do is just kind of share some, some things that stood out to us in the book. So the whole book is fair game today. Pastor Ryan, do you want to start us off and just share some things that, that stood out to you in this letter? I'm having a hard time thinking today. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, because I'm looking at you and you're in your Michigan oh. material. Oh. I'm just glad you're not wearing an Ohio State shirt. Yeah. I'll just keep my head down when I talk, <laughs> okay? okay? <laughs> All right. Yeah. As we noted before, with Second Corinthians, it's a very personal letter. And uh, a couple, one thing that really stuck out to me is I was reading a book by N.T. Wright. He, he wrote a book on Paul. And he, he was sharing about uh, a shift from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. And he, and he stated, which is true, that uh, Paul seemed to be very driven to the point that he knew that someday he was going to stand before the Lord and give an account for his life. Mm-hmm. But then he said this in his book, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. He said there seems to be a shift in Paul's thinking between 1 and 2 Corinthians. And what he was talking about was that Paul really was always looking forward to the return of Christ. Right. And he believed that the return was going to happen, but he thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. Hmm. It very much motivated him. Mm-hmm. But as life was going on, he's getting a little older. He's been beaten up quite a bit. He begins to wonder, Christ is going to come back, but is it the possibility that I might be dead when he does come back? And hmm. N.T. Um, Wright wrote this, and this was in his book. He said, he, talking about Paul, still expects the return of Jesus and with the resurrection of the dead. But whereas in 1 Corinthians, he had assumed he would be among those still living at the time, he is now facing the prospect that he may well die before it happens. Hmm. And then Wright continues, his view of God's future has not changed. What has shifted his his view of where he might fit Hmm. into that future. And you see that happen a lot. You'll see a young person and they're absolutely convinced that Christ is gonna come in their lifetime. And then as time goes by, you begin to wonder a little bit more, mm-hmm. you know, will it happen in my lifetime? Yeah. Yeah, you see, Jesus talks about how first the gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, to Paul, all nations meant the Roman Empire, basically yeah. this known world. So he probably thought, in a sense, he was bringing on the, the return of Christ. He, mm-hmm. I'm sure early in his ministry, he probably thought that it was going to happen. I know you and I have been reading a book and a whole side point, but um, the author made the point that to the end of the world would have been um, Spain. Yeah, right. And That's so you see go. Paul over and over saying, I got to get to Spain. I got to get to he Spain. He was determined to get to Spain. Because he thought if he got to Spain, he got to the world. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, one passage I wanted to, to share about, and this is a passage that's always always stood out to me. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, especially verse 18, but it's, it's really this whole passage, kind of verses 11 through 18. 
Um, and just to give kind of some context here, Paul is he's comparing the old covenant and the new covenant, and he talks about how under the old covenant, God or I'm sorry Moses would meet with God face to face in this tent of meeting, right? The tent of meeting. This was before even the tabernacle, the temple, all of that. So Moses would meet with God one on one, and when he would do that. Moses's face would actually glow mm-hmm. with the glory of God. Can you imagine that? Imagine what that must have looked like. <laughs> I always call it spiritual sunburn. <laughs> yeah. But understandably so, when Moses's face was glowing, the people were scared to go near near him. Right. I mean, you can kind of understand that. I would I would probably be too. So what Moses would do is when he would leave the tent of meeting, he would actually put a, a veil over his face. So if you think about it, only Moses, only one man could speak to God directly, everybody else saw God's glory through a veil. Hmm. So it's really only one man who had direct access to God. So then we come to 2 Corinthians 3, and what Paul says is that non-believers, people who don't believe in Jesus, they still have a veil over their hearts. But as believers, the Holy Spirit removes that veil for us. Hmm. So then we come to verse 18. This is the one that especially stands out to me, and Paul writes this. We all, with unveiled face, just like Moses, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So for believers, the veil has been lifted from our hearts, so we can all now see the glory of God. Hmm. Not just Moses, not just one man, all believers can now see God's glory. And notice what he says, too. He says, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. So beholding is transforming. The more we see of God, the more we are changed. And so I think there's a principle here. This is something that I I really try to live my my life by. The principle that I like to think of is we become what we behold. So whatever we regularly fill our minds with and, and set our minds on, it, it tends to shape us. Yeah. You think about your own life. I, I remember, I don't know if you remember the show, uh, Duck Dynasty, Pastor. Yeah, Ellie. I sure do. But uh, I, I remember I, I was really obsessed with that show when it first came out. I don't even remember <laughs> why. I just got really into this show. You like Psy. Yeah, I did. And I noticed, so I, I watched every episode that was out there. I watched them multiple times. And then all of a sudden, I started wearing camo clothes everywhere I went, camo pants. I got into... Uh, duck hunting, bought duck calls. I, I know it's kind of a silly example, but I, w- I was starting to be influenced by what I was yeah. regularly filling my mind with. Um, so we, we become what we behold. And so what I like to say is that this is why time in Scripture is so important. Because it, we, you might ask, you know, where do we see God's glory primarily? If you look at verse 15 in context, Paul's talking about Scripture. Mm-hmm. Scripture is where we see God's glory most fully. Of course, we can see it in creation and in all sorts of places, but we see his glory most clearly in Scripture. So this is why time in Scripture is so important. It's not just about uh, how-to or practical things or head knowledge, even though those are all very good things. Don't get me wrong. But when we see God's glory in Scripture regularly— it shapes us. Yes. It changes us. So that's why we need regular time in the Word so that we can be shaped to become more and more like Christ. Well, that's a good point. One thing going along with what you said is, you know, a lot of times we'll read the Scriptures and sometimes you just don't feel like you get something massive that, that day. Mm-hmm. But there's a cleansing agent yes. that the Scriptures has toward uh, our lives. 
just like taking a shower, you know. We don't think a lot about it, but every day we do it. Why? There's that idea we just want to be cleansed. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that stuck out to me, you went to the beginning of the chapter, or the book. I'm <laughs> going to go back to towards the Opposite end. end huh? Opposite end, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, I was thinking about Second Corinthians uh, 11 and 12, those chapters. Mm. Yeah. And to understand those passages, we need to have a understanding of the Roman world that Corinth was part of. Yeah. And the Roman officials in uh, time of Rome and around the provinces, they were expected to celebrate their achievements. I mean, they were to boast, they were to flaunt all their honors. They wanted the world to see mm. how great they were. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, uh, they kept talking to Paul, and they were saying, Paul, if you want to come back here and preach, I think you're going to have to give us some letters of recommendation about you. I mean, we got to see your resume. we got to see how great you are. We want to be impressed. We want to be impressed. So uh, it was very common in that time that to have honor, you had to flaunt how mm-hmm. great you were. Right. And also, there was, I just learned about this, there's this, an honor a soldier would receive, and it was known as the wall crown. Hmm. And in the siege of a city, obviously one of the most dangerous parts is those guys who would go up on the ladders hmm. and go over the wall. <laughs> and it was dangerous. Most didn't survive, yeah. but if you were the first pers- person over the wall and you survived, you got what was known as the wall crown. Huh. And so you can see how honor was very important to them. Mm-hmm. And so now the Corinth, it, when I look at the Church of Corinth, I sort of think of it as being like an uppity church. Yeah. They've got to have the best speakers. I mean, they like to flaunt what they have. Mm-hmm. So they want this great resume. And so they want Paul to show his credentials. I mean, what is his accomplishments? And so in the end of the book, Paul does end with a boast. Mm -hmm. But his boast is all upside down. (laughs) Not what you would expect. (laughs) So he goes, okay, you want to hear my job application? You want to hear how great I am? Okay, and just listen to what he says. Mm -hmm. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about... Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. And then he gives his boast. I have worked much harder, been in prison. So listen, been in prison. That's something you don't usually boast about. I've worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in the danger from rivers, in the dangers from bandits, in the danger of my fellow Jews, in the danger of Gentiles, in the danger in the city, in the danger in the country, in the danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. And when he gives his boasting, it's almost like a boasting of shame. Yeah. And it's an upside down type Mm. of boasting. That's quite a list, isn't it? (laughs) It is quite a list. And I think, though, in those days, the Corinthians, I think there's a little bit of humor to this. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, you want this great resume. You want to see how great I am. And then uh, here it is. Here it is. Well, that's interesting. This was also one of the passages that I that I marked down that oh. stood out to me. So I guess we were meant to, to talk about this one. Uh, just to add a couple things, and, and feel free to, to jump in if you have more here, but 
when he, when he talks about the uh, the forty lashes minus one, this is talking about this is something from the Jewish law. Mm-hmm. It comes from Deuteronomy twenty five. It says no more than forty stripes or or lashes can be given. So what the Jewish people would do is they would give thirty nine yeah. to make sure they weren't breaking the law in case you know <laughs> you might you might count wrong somewhere in there. So they gave a little buffer, but he he got that beating five times, and that involved they would take uh, pieces of of scrap metal and wood. And then tie it to a whip, mm-hmm. and then and then whip your back. Mm-hmm. Thirty nine lashes, and he got that five times. That's that's incredible. Uh, he was beaten with rods. That was a Roman punishment or a Gentile punishment for disturbing the peace. Mm-hmm. He was stoned. That happened. You can read about that in Acts chapter fourteen in Lystra. They left him for dead. He gets back up and he goes back into the city. He was shipwrecked three times, and that's not including Acts twenty seven when he was shipwrecked again, because mm-hmm. that would have happened after he wrote the letter. <laughs> And then, of course, ultimately, Paul was imprisoned in Rome, and he was set free for a time before being imprisoned again, and then he was he was killed. He was beheaded. And like you were getting at in all of it, he is he's boasting in his weakness. Yeah, he's saying, you know, you Corinthians say I'm weak. You're right, I am, but it just shows Christ's power all the more. It's not about me. He turns it completely upside down. And I, I think there's a couple things here that especially stand out to me. One. First of all, just the intensity of, and tenacity of Paul, just the, the relentlessness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about how often does God call us to do something, and we say, well, I'm too scared, or I'm too busy, or I can't do it, I'm not ready for I it. I don't have a seminary degree. Yeah, exactly. But for Paul, they had to arrest him, beat him, imprison him, and ultimately kill him just to try to slow him down. <laughs> think yeah, about that. I mean, what are, what are our excuses? Paul had such a intensity, but then I think, you know, what helped Paul maintain this intensity, what you think you'd eventually want to take a vacation or maybe take a break or you'd get worn down eventually. But I think 2 Corinthians chapter 4 kind of gives us his mindset. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I think this verse is just incredible because he says light momentary affliction. Yes. After all that stuff you just listed, you're saying that's light and momentary? How do you say that? But in comparison to eternity, it really is nothing. It's nothing. Paul's willing to give up everything in this life because he knows that when we spend eternity with God, it's all going to be worth it in the end. And so another principle I like to live my life by is the Christians who do the most in this life are the ones who think the most of the next life. You know, we don't always understand suffering or or why we suffer, but we know one day all things are going to be made right and we're going to spend all of eternity in God's presence. Yeah. And so we need to cultivate, we need to live from an eternal perspective. That's good. Uh, One thing, since we're talking about 2 Corinthians 11, 12 area, just something that hit me in spending time doing my devotions is the thorn in the flesh. Mm. Now, I know that there's a lot of controversy what the thorn in the flesh is, and obviously my goal right now is to, to go into that. But something hit me in reading it. I just wanted to read to the, um, to the listeners. It says this, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. And he goes, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man. Whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But again, God knows. 
was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. So this is Paul. He's talking about himself. But what hit me is he said this, Therefore, in order to keep me, or keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And he talks about how he prays and prays for this um, three times for this thorn in the flesh to be gone. Hmm. But I think in reading my devotions, it shows you God allowed Paul to have these great visions, Mm -hmm. but he knew Paul may struggle with pride. Hmm. So he allowed a thorn in the flesh so that he would stay humbled Hmm. because pride has such an ability to destroy our lives, and God knows that. And sometimes we forget how damaging pride is. I even think with Job, if you look in Job, there's aspects, we always think how you know great Job was, and he was. Mm-hmm. But you can also see Job had a pride issue. Mm-hmm. And so you see by the end of Job, what, Job 39, 40, God begins to ask him all these questions. Okay, Job, if you're so great, you answer this. And he just lists question after question after question. Mm-hmm. And he never gives Job an answer. But what he's doing is, He's saying, Job, you think you're so smart. Can you answer these things? <laughs> and Job never got the answer, but he realized God had the answer. Mm-hmm. But what I believe God was doing in Job's life was also getting out of him pride, hmm. because pride in our lives will ultimately destroy us. Hmm. Yeah, pride is really at the root of, of most sins, I, it I, is. I would say. Hmm. So it, it was it was more important for Paul, or it was better for him to experience this suffering, I guess yes. you could say, than it was for him to struggle with pride. Now, I will say this as a caveat to this. An error that some Christians have made that you do not want to pray is we would, they pray for a thorn in the flesh. I don't know if you've ever heard people, <laughs> yes. but there actually have been people who prayed for a thorn in the flesh. That was a messenger from Satan. Mm. You do not pray that prayer. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, one other point I had here, and this isn't as much of a, a devotional point, but just wanted to clarify something. Paul talks about this offering that he's collected in chapters 8 and 9. Oh, yeah. And you might just be wondering, you know, why is Paul asking for for an offering? Um, Pastors always are, aren't they? I know. And I think this is actually something Paul struggled with because it it seems that Paul generally, I don't want to use the word pride because we just talked about how pride is bad, but he he kind of prided himself in a sense in in not asking for funds. Mm -hmm. He was able to perform his ministry and earn a living for himself by manual labor. So I don't think he liked to bring this topic up, just like we don't. I mean, mm. we people think, like you said, pastors are always asking for money. So why is he collecting this offering? Well, he's collecting an offering for the, the Jerusalem church. You know, we have to kind of read between the lines. We use the book of Acts to help us here. And he, he collects this offering during the, his entire third missionary journey. And Luke, not not myself, but the, the biblical Luke, he tells us in Acts chapter 11 that there was a famine during the reign of, of Claudius, and he was the emperor from... 41 to 54 AD, pretty mm-hmm. severe famine. So the Jerusalem church is experiencing poverty, famine. They're going through some pretty tough times. And if you remember, the church started in Jerusalem. Yeah. That's where the gospel message originated. So there's a sense in which Paul feels that Gentile believers are indebted to the, the Jewish believers. And But even beyond that, I think he's also trying to kind of ease tensions between the Jews and Gentiles. There's always that struggle, the tensions. So he, he's trying to 
collect this offering sort of as a statement of unity amongst the church between the Jews and Gentiles. So just as a point of clarification, that's really what he's doing here. One thing I liked about it, too, is you'll notice that he safeguarded and put in systems mm-hmm. uh, concerning money. Yeah. You know, he didn't want it to look like he was ever stealing money or embezzling money. So he always had people with him. And even as a church, we always put in safeguards for protection because it's such a, a volatile issue that you want to make sure that right. we are doing everything we can to be above board. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, anything else you'd like to share from Second Corinthians? I sure enjoy the book. I always have. It is a good book. You can usually tell if I'm depressed or struggling. Yeah. I'll start reading Second <laughs> Corinthians. Yeah. He really does pour out his heart in this letter. Like yeah. we said, I think it was last episode, you really see Paul the pastor yeah. more so than Paul the professor. Yeah, the next book we're looking at is Romans. Romans. So we're looking at the professor, yeah, huh? a little bit of a different tune. Well, like Pastor Ryan said, we will be introducing the book of Romans next week, so make sure you tune in for that. But for now, remember why we're doing this. We want to equip you and help you get into the Word until it gets into you. And we want to equip you so that you can go out and you can be a world changer.